If you have your Bibles this morning, would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts and uh, chapter 18. Acts uh, chapter 18, in our study of the book of Acts, we, I think thus far we find a clear and a concise record of the first century churches. I think here are some uh, notable themes that have emerged through the book of Acts by way of pattern that have repeated themselves. I think we know that there has been opposition to the gospel since the very beginning. Uh, It seems that opposition to the gospel of Christ was very common early on. It is not new to the 21st century. We also have noted that the gospel of Christ, by those who were the ministers of Christ, by the believers in the church, the gospel of Christ was unashamedly proclaimed. They were not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. They proclaimed it even though they met fierce opposition. We also have noted that God's servants had to deal with personal trials. If we're not careful, we might think, nobody has ever dealt with what I've had to deal with. Let me remind you what we've seen thus far. God's servants have faced imprisonment, physical harm, false accusation, mockery, and on many occasions, expulsion from cities and regions. And yet what we conclude, the last point that we've learned is that we see that believers and churches nonetheless were multiplied. Isn't that perplexing? That everywhere they went, opposition was commonplace. Yet they continued to preach the gospel unashamedly, even though many of them dealt with imprisonment, physical harm, false accusation, mockery, and expulsion, and yet God's work still multiplied. You see, the work of God continued to advance through the power of the gospel and of Christ. And today, we do not represent Christ and the gospel because it is convenient, nor because it will be widely accepted in society. We represent the gospel of Christ because it is the truth that every man must hear. And furthermore, we should never think that the rejection of the gospel is something that is new to the 21st century. The rejection of the gospel has been seen since the gospel was first proclaimed. And so we have to understand that it is not... Uh, the intellect that keeps a man from believing. It is the wickedness of his heart. Now here on Paul's second missionary journey in Acts chapter 18, we find him in Corinth. Remember, he had gone to Macedonia, now he is in Achaia, which is present-day Greece. He went to Philippi, then Thessalonica, then went down to Berea, uh, then went down to Athens, and now he... Uh, went westward to Achaia. All those first cities were in Macedonia. And then he goes into Corinth, which is in Achaia. And here in Achaia, in Corinth, we uh, noted um, a number of things that Paul began by himself, but God brought some companions along the way, Aquila and Priscilla. His co-laborers met him back there, uh, Silas and Timotheus. And finally, his captain, the Lord himself, spoke to him at Corinth and told him that there would be a great work going on in Corinth. 
Now, in the remainder of this account in Corinth, something interesting happens as far as in the book of Acts is concerned. Is the remainder of this account in Corinth is, is not the documentation of what Paul's ministry per se. It's a record of the people fighting over the ministry of Paul. Greeks versus Jews. And I ask the question here, why is this here for us? Let's read it. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. In Acts chapter 18, and notice we're going to begin reading in verse 11, work our way down to verse 17. So notice with me Acts 18 verse 11, And he, that is Paul, continued there, Corinth, a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Galeo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galeo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galeo cared for none of those things. Interesting, isn't it? Something that we expect Paul to, to be beaten, but that's not what happens. As we uh, consider this record, we have to ask ourselves, why is this particular section recorded for us? And I really believe that this record is given to us because it is a fulfillment of what the Lord said to Paul in verse 9 and 10 of the same chapter. Notice with me. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace, for... I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And so notice, the Lord said to Paul, by the way, this is the first time that God said anything of the sort to Paul. Paul had already been imprisoned. He had already been mocked. He had already been beaten. He had been left for dead already. But this is God's promise for this particular place, for this particular work in Corinth. And so then the remainder of the account in the book of uh, of Acts here in 18 of what happened in Corinth is a record of how God fulfilled that. Uh, we would expect here as by pattern that Paul would come uh, before the ruler of that area and the same thing that's always happened would happen again. But that's not the case. And so I want to consider several things here in our text. First of all, we consider the revolt of the Jews. Now this is not anything new that the Jews would revolt against Paul and against the preaching of the gospel, but notice verse 12. And when Galeo was deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Now notice here the Bible says that the Jews made insurrection. Now insurrection means, basically the idea means to stand over against, to rush upon, to assault, 
The word here means to stand over with intensity. Now when we think about this insurrection, I'll mention a little bit about the insurrection itself in just a moment. But we first notice the coordination of this insurrection. The Bible says that when Galeo was deputy of Achaia, and so the scripture here makes note of the timing of this Jewish insurrection by the word when. When Galeo. And so this insurrection, it seems to me, begins when Galeo was the deputy. Uh, scripture seems to indicate that the Jews took the opportunity under these circumstances to uh, perhaps of the new leadership in Achaia. Uh, and so when he was the ruler in Achaia, the Jews then uh, stood against Paul and brought him to what we see here in Corinth, to the judgment seat. But we not only see the time, but we also see the accord of the people in verse 12. The Jews made insurrection with one accord. Uh, And by the way here, we find a unity in the city of Corinth among the Jews. Uh, Unity by a great number of people for a common cause is not the validation of a cause. That's important to know. Unity among a great number of people around a cause is not the validation of a cause. It seems clear even in our own society today that a great multitude of people have rallied around wicked and ungodly causes. A broad consensus is never the basis of what is right and what is true. God's Word has the consensus. We don't need to try to find out by uh, the majority of people what is right and what is wrong. God's Word tells us what is right and what is wrong. Uh, Truth and righteousness are not determined by the size of the crowd, but by the character of the creed and the conduct. And evidently these people here, uh, they oppose Paul, and by the way, Galea is going to see right through them that their cause was an unjust cause. We not only see the coordination of this insurrection, but we also see the target of this insurrection. Who was the insurrection against? Well, the scripture says against Paul. You see, this word is typically, the word insurrection is typically used in the context of people revolting against an authority that's over them. That's where the word comes from. This could be an individual, an authority, or even a government with authority over people. That's how the word is typically used, committing an insurrection. However, this was a revolt not against a city, a ruler, or a political leader, this was a revolt against Paul and his ministry at Corinth. Now, it's interesting because Paul had no authority over them. He was not the representative of some governmental entity or authority. And so the question is, why this insurrection against the Apostle Paul. Why would they mount up an insurrection? What are they trying to overthrow? Well, what is Paul preaching about? He's preaching about Christ. He's preaching about the judgment of sin. He is preaching about the need of Christ. And so, what are they trying to overthrow? I'll tell you what they're trying to overthrow. They're trying to overthrow the authority of God. That's the the great struggle of mankind, of humanity. And so this is an insurrection against God, against God's Word, against the minister of God, even though he had no authority technically over them as some government entity. 
But we also see not only the target of this insurrection, but we see the purpose of this insurrection. The Bible says, and they brought him to the judgment seat. And so the purpose is clear. They wanted to silence him. As we see by pattern, it seems to be that was the model that was used in those days. If you try to silence someone, if you try to, if you want to ostracize someone from society, you mount up some crowd, you mount up and come up with some false accusation to try to, a bunch of strange things are going to happen today. You're going to try to mount something against the person to silence them. That was the pattern in those days. The Bible says, notice in verse 13, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, it's interesting because we have seen this type of accusation repeated in Acts. Uh, God's ministers were repeatedly accused of doing something either against the law of the Jew or against the Roman law. Every single time. Now we know that Paul did nothing of the sort. They tried to portray him as some criminal in order to silence him or to convince the the listeners to ignore him. Uh, They would resort to character assassination. Uh, They say he's breaking the law, whether it is the Jewish law or the Roman law. We've seen that already. Acts chapter 6. Verse 13, Acts chapter 16, verse 20 and 21, in Philippi, falsely accused. Uh, later in Acts 21, 28, later in Acts 24, uh, 5 and 6, and then in Acts 25, the accusation is always the same. He is teaching us to do something against the law. You know, we find this behavior consistent also, not only in the Bible, but also throughout the history of the world. If these ministers could not be silenced, another way had to be devised to silence them. They consistently resorted to character assassination by false accusation. If the message message itself cannot be dismantled, then the messenger has to be vilified. Isn't that the pattern of history? Isn't that true today? It is rare to find those who are willing to debate over the truth without resorting to vilification. So we see here the revolt of the Jews, but then secondly in our text we see the reasonableness of the deputy. Now this is interesting because this is the first time that this is going to happen here so far in the ministry of Paul where somebody is actually going to take his side. That's in authority. Notice verse 14. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, it's interesting here that he, he, he knows uh, he's about to say something and For the first time, he's going to be stopped by the ruler who is on his side. He's not going to say anything. This account is really not a record of Paul's ministry, but about uh, the struggle between the Jews and the, the, the Greeks over the law and whether it is proper to judge this man with regards to the law. So while Paul was about to open his mouth, he was about to no doubt respond to the accusation of the Jews But he did not have uh, uh, enough time to say anything because Galileo, the ruler, took the lead and he spoke to the Jews. Uh, You know, it is possible that Paul could have wondered, I think at that time, maybe in his uh, flash, he could have thought about this time, well, the Lord promised me that no harm would come to me. Uh, Here is the record here of God fulfilling that promise. You, We probably wonder, Paul would have wondered, well, is God's word going to be true? Is God going to do what He said He would do? Uh, Paul would leave this court right there, the judgment seat, unhurt. And 
in, the, in an unlikely turn of events, the man who had been leading the accusation against Paul was the one who would end up being hurt. Now, why would I say that um, the one who was leading the accusation? Well, the Bible says that Sosthenes was the one who got, uh, who got beaten, who led the insurrection, the Jews. The Bible says that Sosthenes was the chief ruler of the synagogue. So he would have been the one leading the fight against Paul. And he is the one that ends up getting beaten up. Evidently, Galileo was not fooled by the accusation against Paul. This is the first time that a judge has not been swayed by the influence of a crowd in the book of Acts. Thus far, that's all that's happened. There's a crowd, there's violence, uh, they're, they're loud, they're obnoxious, and the ruler says, well, I want to appease them. Oh boy, that is much to human nature, isn't it? We see that even in our present society. As long as you could get a crowd big enough and loud enough, uh, repeat it enough, then uh, the leaders will bow to it, whether it is right or wrong. That's not what Galileo does. He does the opposite. Uh, I like what McLaren wrote. He says, How little Galileo dreamed that he would live forever in men's mouth by reason of this one judicial dictum. You see, uh, Galileo would never know that he would be permanently written in the holy record of God. But yet what he did included him in this record. Galileo was willing to deal, by the way, he was not an unjust ruler. It seems clear that he was willing to deal with societal crimes, but not with religious crimes. Uh, Paul was not, was not involved in some act of, as he said, of wrong or wicked lewdness. Notice what Galileo said in verse 14. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, in other words, if he did something against society, uh, the word wrong means evil doing, uh, the word uh, wicked means hurtful, and the word lewdness means someone who is reckless or someone who has some inappropriate behavior. And so what Galileo said, if someone came and was doing something evil that hurt others by, a, by recklessness and by inappropriate behavior, I would deal with it. But that's not what Paul did. He says, uh, Oh, ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. I would listen to you. I would indulge you if it was something that was going against the norm of society, but that is not what Paul done. That, that's not what Paul did. You see, Galileo mentioned what, uh, what this was uh, about. Notice verse 15. But if it be a question of, here it is, words and names and of your law. Notice, not the Roman law, not the standard of society, your Jewish law. So he mentions here, this is about words. Well, what was Paul preaching? He was preaching the word of God. And they had been offended by the word of God. He says it's not about lewdness or wickedness. It's about names. Well, what name was Paul preaching? Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he said, and about your law. What is talking about? The Jewish law. And so Galileo refused to get involved in their religious debate with Paul. We don't want to, his words harm us. The mention of the name is stirring us up to, to violence. He's, 
uh, uh, preaching something that is contrary to our religious law. And Galileo says, what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with the law? Why have you brought this to, to me? And by the way, it shows us, it gives us insight into the ministry of Paul. What is, was the ministry of Paul? It was about words and names. He convinced the people with words and names. Now to them it was contrary to what they were teaching, but words and names. And by the way, it's sufficient for us to reach the world with the gospel by words and names. The words of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Verse, uh, notice uh, 16, he says, And he drave them from the judgment seat. And so Galileo basically dismissed them. He says, there is going to be no trial. He completely dismissed them. And then finally, we see the retaliation of the Greeks. So we see uh, the revolt of the Jews, the reasonableness of the deputy, and then the retaliation of the Greeks. Notice verse 17, Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of those things. Now here the chief accuser of Paul was most likely... Sosthenes as the chief ruler of the synagogue since the accusation came from the Jews as indicated from verse 12. But what we also learn early on, you remember when Paul had been preaching early on in Corinth, you remember who was one of the men who believed? Verse 8 of the same chapter. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his house. So what had happened earlier in Corinth is that the one who was the chief ruler in the synagogue believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what did he do? Well, he left the synagogue. He left his place of authority. And Sosthenes was the one who had replaced him, who now was the chief ruler in the synagogue, who now was leading the fight against Paul, against the gospel and the preaching of Paul. And so this display from the Jews, it seems, was not well received from the Greeks in the city. Galileo, even the scripture says at the end of verse 17, and Galileo cared for none of those things. You see, Galileo seems to be unconcerned with the beating that Sosthenes received at the hand of the Greeks. It's almost like he says, well, you asked for that. You tried to bring false accusation against this man who's done nothing wrong. All he's done is he talked about words and names. And you've interpreted that as being against you. And I'm not a judge of that. And so then, uh, notice, they had mounted an insurrection. It was passionate. It was violent. Uh, they tried to uh, overthrow Paul. They tried to somehow kick him out of the city. They tried to stop him. And Galileo said, that's completely unreasonable. I like what one uh, Bible commentator said. He says, what did it matter if a Jew got a few stripes, more or less, no doubt they were richly merited. And so long as they were no, there was no public disturbance, the castigation might serve a useful purpose in cautioning the Jews against bringing their matters into public notice or trespassing on the public patience. You see, this was common at that time. People would abuse that. And by the way, today there are laws in our societies that... Uh, you not only uh, pay for the crimes that you've committed, but if you bring a false accusation, there's also a payment for you because that is a crime. They didn't have that at that time. 
And so people would abuse the system. If they got enough people to stand against, uh, the, against them, the Jews had a rule. In the, uh, you have to have two witnesses, two or three witnesses, to bring an accusation. And so they would organize themselves. Those who, by the way, claimed that they were observing the law were lying. Because they didn't like what the man, was, the man of God was preaching. And so while Galileo rightly believed the Roman court was not the judge of religious disputes, he did see that Sosthenes was trying to pervert the law in order to be mean and hurtful to Paul. And it seems that Galileo wanted nothing to do with that. Now, with that said, where do we go from there? Well, I'm interested in the name Sosthenes. We don't know much about him. Here we see that he perhaps is the man who led the fight against Paul as the ruler of the synagogue and that he was beaten because he opposed Paul. But I want you to turn with me to, now this is in Corinth. Where are we? We are in Corinth. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now remember what God told uh, Paul in Corinth. He says, uh, nobody's going to hurt you. I'm going to be with you because I have much people in this place. There's going to be a great work. Paul is going to remain there for a long time in Corinth and his ministry uh, multiplied and did a wonderful work. But notice here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God and what's the name? Sosthenes, our brother. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, is this the same Sosthenes? Well, uh, we cannot tell for certain. There's no verse that says, well, this is the Sosthenes of Acts chapter 8. However, there are strong indications that this would be the same man. Let me give you a few reasons. The believers of Corinth would know him since he had been the chief ruler of the synagogue. Why mention Sosthenes at all if this is not the same man that you find in Acts chapter 18? In other words, when Paul mentions a name, for example, when he writes First and Second Thessalonians, he writes the letter as Paul, Silas, and Timotheus. Why? Because they all know Timotheus and Silas. Here it would be that Paul writes, as he's writing to the church at Corinth, that they would know this man. That they would be acquainted with this man. Secondly, there is no introduction of Sosthenes or explanation as to who he was. Therefore, we can conclude that there is no introduction needed if Sosthenes is already known of the people there. Thirdly, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in part to rebuke the carnality of the believers in the church at Corinth. Therefore, mentioning Sosthenes as the, at the beginning of this letter would add to Paul's credibility, seeing that, the most, that most believers in the church would know him as having been a ruler. Remember, people were accusing Corinth of Paul of, of having the wrong motives and the wrong desires. But also, lastly, it tells us that of the, I think, I think, of the wonderful work of the gospel in the life of Sosthenes. A man who once stood against the gospel of Christ, who evidently submitted himself to the gospel of Christ, 
This would be similar to Paul's own testimony, who at one time opposed the gospel, persecuted the believers, but then came to know Christ as a Savior. And here, Sosthenes would be the same example, a man who opposed the preaching of the gospel, who was the first witness to stand against Paul, who was even beaten because he unjustly stood against Paul, and evidently it seemed that this man came to know the Lord as a Savior. That means that in Corinth, two of the chief rulers of the synagogue believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful story of Corinth and of the work of God. Notice the decision by the court if you go back to Acts chapter 18. In verse 18, the Bible says, And Paul after this tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren. We have this record at Corinth to show us here that, and this is what I want us to learn here, because this is a fulfillment of verse 8 and 9 of what God told to Paul. And what I am not saying is that, you know, as, as some preachers, false preachers might do today, well, God wants you to be good and free of problems and free of trials and free of difficulties. That is a lie. If, if we identify with Christ, there will be opposition and there will be persecution. That's the promise from Jesus Christ. Now, in certain circumstances, God might step in and say, well, I'm, I'm going to preserve you through this. I'm going to preserve you. You're going to be unhurt. And God fulfills that. But that was not always true for the life of Paul. What we've seen thus far, you remember, at Philippi, he was uh, falsely accused, he was beaten, and he was imprisoned. Remember, up to this point, up to that point in Philippi, there was only one convert, Lydia. We don't know of anybody else. But yet, because of the accusation, the beating, and the imprisonment, the earthquake happened, and then the Philippian jailer, who was about to kill himself, he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying is that God allowed Paul to be mocked and beaten and imprisoned in order for the Philippian jailer to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. In this case, in Corinth, God says, you're not going to be hurt. I'm going to preserve your life. And that all also resulted in the conversion of Sosthenes. What I'm trying to say to us is we're, we are not God. And there may be time when God allows us to go through difficulties for His glory. For the propagation of the gospel. And there may be other times where He might preserve us from harm. Or from difficulties for His glory. What is our responsibility is to be faithful. Leave God the rest. Don't, uh, as Paul in the, Philippian, in the Philippian jail, he praised the Lord and rejoiced in the Lord. In the difficulties. And yet when everything's going well, we can also rejoice in the Lord. In the, diffi- uh, in, in the, in the lack of difficulties. And no doubt, Paul, do you think he would leave the judgment seat in Corinth excited <laughs> at what God has done, how God has fulfilled His word? How what God said He would do, He did. And that would encourage, encourage Paul and strengthen him along the way. You know, we may not know, have the, the view of God. We may not see the benefit of us being faithful through difficulties. Or being faithful with, uh, with the absence of difficulties. But believe me that God is working out 
things that are beyond our sight, we just have to be faithful. We have to get to the place where we don't give people an opportunity to blaspheme the name of God. Because we think somehow that God is unfair or that He is unjust. Remain faithful and God will work. And that's what we see in Paul. God preserving the life of Paul for what purpose? For what purpose? God says, I have much people in this place. You know why God preserves us? Because He wants to do a work through us in this world.